Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for tonight's sermon is the Old Testament reading we heard earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 26. We hear now again just the final verses. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus, every year when the harvest was in, every Israelite farmer knew what he had to do. Didn't matter how far his farm was from the temple in Jerusalem. He had to get himself a basket and fill it with the first and the best things that his land had produced, especially the seven fruits that the land of Israel was so famous for. Barley, wheat, grapes, olives, dates, pomegranates, figs. That all went in the basket and the farmer took it all up to the Jerusalem temple and he put it into the hands of the priest and the law of Moses told him exactly the words he was supposed to say. And what he was supposed to say is probably not what we would have thought. I would have thought that he was supposed to say something about the basket of fruit in his hand. I'd have expected him to say something like, thank you, Lord, for this food. Thank you, Lord, for a good year. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me back here safely one more time. You know, the kind of things that you and I are probably going to say tomorrow when we sit down at the table, if that's your plan. But he doesn't. Instead, the farmer is supposed to recite these words from Deuteronomy chapter 26, words that by this time he probably knew by heart because they were part of the temple liturgy, words that functioned sort of like our Apostles' Creed. Let's call it the Farmer's Creed. And in the Farmer's Creed, if you notice, what he does is he tells the story of his people. And he puts himself into the story as if he were there when these things had happened, when of course he wouldn't have been. And so what if we did that? What if we made our harvest festival, Thanksgiving, a day to tell our story? What would that sound like? Well, just like the farmer's story, our story would have three parts. Part one, it's been rough. Part two, but the Lord saved us. Part three, so here we are, proof that the Lord always keeps his promises. Part one, it's been rough. 
It has been rough, the farmer says. Only again, not in the way I would have thought. When he starts out his creed, the farmer does not talk about bad weather and drought and insects and low prices and labor shortages and all the other things that farmers like to kvetch about. Instead of any of that, the farmer starts talking about how rough things were for his ancestors. The creed begins, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he doesn't even mean his father. He means his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. He means Jacob. And Jacob wasn't even really an Aramean, although he had to go live with one. He had to go live with good old Uncle Laban, and you remember the story. Jacob's on the run from his brother Esau, who is out to kill him. And so Jacob runs away from the land of Israel with nothing but the shirt on his back, and he ends up in the home of good old Uncle Laban, who takes him in, and begins by making Jacob work for him for nothing. And then when Jacob does manage to accumulate a little wealth, Laban does everything he can to get it away from Jacob, any way he can, but it doesn't work. Jacob becomes a wealthy man. He has a family, a big one. And that's when things really go to pot because the family ends up down in Egypt and the Egyptians make the Israelites their slaves. For 400 years, the Egyptians work the Israelites to death. They make their lives nasty and sweaty and bitter and very short. The Israelites come this close to disappearing from the face of the earth forever. And they're starting to wonder if their God hasn't forgotten about them completely. And it's been rough for us too, hasn't it? It's been a rough year, but in our part one, we wouldn't use this part to talk about COVID or politics or all the separate sorrows that we here tonight have experienced over the past 12 months. And what if we made our part one a time to talk about how rough it was for our ancestors? And what if, just like the farmer, we went way, way back to great-great-great-great-grandpa Adam and great-grandma Eve, where our story really starts. Adam and Eve, who took everything we had and threw it away by sinning against God. And by doing that, they condemned all their children to Lives that are, in many ways, nasty, sweaty, 
bitter. In short, lives where we wander from one place to another like Jacob, to places that aren't really our homes, where we live among people who aren't really our people, forced to worship gods that aren't really gods, with nothing to look forward to thanks to our sin, but an eternity of being blasted out of the presence of God forever. That would be our part one. So thank God there's a part two. It's been rough, but part two, the Lord saved us. And you just heard how the farmer said, the Lord looked down from heaven on us with pity, and he swung into action. He heard our cries, the farmer says. The Egyptians who were oppressing us, the Lord struck with one destructive plague after another until Egypt was a smoldering wreck. And then finally one night he took us out of Egypt, a night where he killed all the Egyptian firstborn but kept our firstborn alive. We made it out of Egypt alive. And when the Egyptians came out after us and tried to bring us back, that's when the Lord really lowered the boom. He led us through the Red Sea, through water, behind Moses, our teacher. And when Pharaoh's army came in after us, the Lord brought the walls of water down on their heads and took them straight down to the bottom of the Red Sea where they still lie, never to bother us again. The Lord did all that for us, the Israelite farmer said. And what did we do? Nothing. We contributed absolutely nothing. We stood there on the shore and watched the Lord do it all, and when it was all done, we burst forth in a song of thanks and praise. Our part two. The Lord took pity on us and saved us too. And what do we Say, he has redeemed me, say it with me if you can, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sin, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Remember? The Lord swung into action and saved us in the person of our teacher, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God nailed his son Jesus to the cross, and with him he nailed our sin to the cross, and then he put our sin with Jesus in a tomb and sealed it there where it can't ever come out and bother us again.
When the Lord put Jesus to death, he put death to death. And now death is not an enemy we need to be afraid of anymore. And in holy baptism, the Lord led us through water. Right behind Jesus, our teacher, and he landed us safe on the other shore. The Lord did all that for us. And what did we contribute? Absolutely nothing. We stood on the shore. We watched the Lord do it all. And now that it is all done, we burst forth in a song of thanks and praise, and it's why we're here tonight, right? Part three, here we are. Proof that the Lord always keeps his promises. And that's exactly what the farmer would say. That's what this basket of fruit means, he would say. This is one of those times when a basket of fruit is not just a basket of fruit. It's a nice basket of fruit. The grapes, figs, dates, pomegranates, olives, and that, and the wheat and the barley, that all would have looked beautiful and probably tasted delicious. All of that would have been reason enough to give thanks to God, but it's not about the fruit. It's about what the fruit represents. This fruit means a promise kept a promise made to my ancestors, the farmer says, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give us a land and a home, a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you sit down to the table tomorrow, if that's your plan, a table loaded down with the very best things that are land produces. Take a good whiff, but remember, for us too, it's not about the food. That beautiful spread before you, you know what that means. It means a promise kept. The Lord our God's promise in holy baptism to make us his very own people. His promise to walk among us and be our God. His promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. His promise that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? And before you dig in, remember to do two things. Two things that the farmer also had to do. Number one, rejoice. That's not optional. It's an order. Rejoice 
God says, and he is very serious about this. Give yourself permission to be happy. Take a good long look at the beautiful food and take an even longer look at the beautiful people around the table with you. Notice what you're feeling and give it a name. Contentment. Joy. Love. And the second thing, now let your mind wander a little bit to other people. People who maybe aren't there at the table with you. The Israelites' mind was supposed to go to two groups of people. First of all, he was supposed to think about the Levites. The Levites were Israelites like him, but they weren't farmers. They couldn't be. They didn't get any land of their own to farm. They needed to live off the charity and goodwill of their brothers and sisters. Think about them. And the other group? The foreigners residing among you. These are people not like you, but they come to live near you. They're not citizens, but they've come to share your life, hoping for a better life for themselves and their families. Think about what we might do for them. Think about how we could let them rejoice too. A blessed Thanksgiving. Amen. Please stand.